Hear that? It's the sound of someone whacking the ground with a rake. Specifically, they're beating around the bush, which we've done enough of in this ad too, so let's get right to it. The new moneymaker scratch-off from the Ohio Lottery doesn't beat around the bush. Money maker. Play the game and you could win money, up to $2 million. With more than $88 million in prizes, ranging from $50 to $500, Moneymaker cuts right to the cash. Lottery players are subject to Ohio laws and commission regulations. Play responsibly. Today is Thursday, April 23rd, 2020. On this day in 1014, the forces of Brian Boru, the High King of Ireland, defeated an alliance of Viking and Irish armies at the Battle of Clontarf. Although he was victorious in the battle, Brian Boru was slain. Welcome to Today in True Crime, a ParCast original. Due to the graphic nature of today's crimes, listener discretion is advised. Extreme caution is advised for listeners under 13. Today we're covering the Battle of Clontarf, one of the most famous conflicts in Ireland's history. It's known as the day that the great Christian king Brian Boru drove the pagan Viking forces into the sea, never to return. While its events have since become the stuff of legend, the truth is more complicated. Let's go back to the bank of the River Tolka in the early morning hours of April 23rd, 1014. They say the armies met at sun's first light on Good Friday morning. The pitch was chosen in advance, a northern shore of Dublin Bay called Clontarf. The Irish came from north and south to meet the mail-clad Norsemen. And Brian Boru? He led the way, crucifix aloft before him. So the story goes, and perhaps Brian wished it were so. But the High King of Ireland was 73 years old and no longer fit for battle. He could only watch and pray from his camp high in Kilmainham while the conflict played out below. Even if he could no longer swing a sword, this was unquestionably Brian Boru's fight. It was the culmination of his life's work, a many-decade-long campaign to unite all of Ireland under a single ruler. It was a bold dream for a member of the Dal Gosh, a clan from the southern province of Munster. It had taken countless battles, political marriages, and unstable alliances. But as the 11th century dawned, that dream was finally real. In 1005, Brian had stood in the monastery of Armagh and before the sight of God declared himself Imperator Scotorum, the Emperor of the Gaels. Before long, all of the regional kings of Ireland had acknowledged his authority. It had never happened before, and it didn't last long. Since the 9th century, Norsemen had held a significant presence along the Irish coast, most significantly in the prominent trading port of Dublin. Brian Boru had either crushed or subjugated these forces during his rise to power, culminating in the sacking of Dublin on New Year's Eve, 999. 
Citric Silkenbeard, the defeated Viking king of Dublin, pledged fealty to Brian Boru in the aftermath. But just 10 years later, he reconsidered his allegiances. Around 1012, King Citric formed a rebellious alliance with Moil Morda Machmerkada, the Irish king of Leinster. When they started attacking nearby kingships, Brian Boru gathered his forces and marched to Dublin. But Citric was expecting this, and he didn't just have native Irishmen on his side. He had reached out to his Scandinavian brethren and enlisted the forces of two Viking leaders, Sigurd the Stout from Orkney and Broder from the Isle of Man. According to Scandinavian legend, both of these men had been promised Brian Boru's throne in return for participating in the battle. On April 23, 1014, the Munster forces of Brian Boru, led by his son Mirka, stood across a lonely, windswept field from the combined armies of Moil Morda, Citric, and their Viking allies. The stakes were unimaginably high. If Brian's army lost, it would shatter his claim to a unified Ireland and allow foreign Nordic forces to gain even greater control on the island. Many details of the battle have been either lost to history or so fused with myth that fact and fiction have become blurred. It's believed that Brian's forces had the edge in numbers, though the Vikings had the advantage of being clad in chainmail, while the Irish wore only leather armor. The battle raged from sunup to sundown, with massive casualties to both sides. By evening, the fields and sands were soaked in blood, and both armies were on the verge of exhaustion. The Leinster and Viking armies began to retreat, only to discover that the tide had already come in, cutting them off from the woods. According to legend, many of the Vikings tried to flee to their ships anchored offshore, only to drown in the surf. Many of the rest were trapped on the beach, where they were mercilessly slaughtered by Brian's forces. Some Viking and Leinster soldiers did manage to escape, fleeing into the nearby woods. One group of soldiers stumbled upon the Irish encampment. Legend says that it was Broder, the Viking leader from the Isle of Man, who led them to Brian Boru's tent. They overpowered the guards and entered to find the elderly king on his knees in prayer. Broder didn't hesitate before cutting him down. The High King of Ireland was dead. He'd won the Battle of Clontarf, but at a mortal cost. Coming up, we discuss the ramifications of the Battle of Clontarf and Brian Boru's transformation into a cultural hero. Now back to the story. On April 23, 1014, the army of the High King of Ireland, Brian Boru, fought a rebel alliance of Irish natives and Norsemen at the Battle of Clontarf. After a long day of bloodshed, the High King's forces were victorious, but Brian Boru was slain. 
Historians estimate that at least 4,000 of Brian Boru's Irishmen and 6,000 of the Viking Leinster forces were killed during the battle. This is supported by the accounts from contemporary sources from both sides and by the number of leaders who died. Among the dead were the King of Leinster, Moyle Morda MacMurkada, Sigurd of Orkney, Brian Boru's son, Murka, and his grandson, Turi Labah. While Brian's army had won a Pyrrhic victory, his line of succession was severely damaged. Over the following decades, his descendants gradually lost more and more influence, eventually diminishing to a level of regional power similar to what the family had known before Brian's rise. No new high king stepped forward to fill Brian Boru's shoes until well into the 12th century, and Ireland once again descended into many disconnected rival kingships. In the centuries that followed, Brian Boru garnered a mythic status in Irish history, eventually becoming the country's first national hero. The Battle of Clontarf has been celebrated as the day Irish Christians expelled the pagan Viking invaders who had terrorized their nation for centuries. Today, some historians take issue with this analysis for multiple reasons. While it's true that there were no significant Viking invasions of Ireland after 1014, the Nordic people who'd been living there for two centuries continued to invade. King Citric Silkenbeard was not ousted in the battle, but remained in control of Dublin until his death in 1042. By the time of Brian Boru, Irish and Viking families had been intermarrying for years, and many Nordic people had already converted to Christianity. But the biggest problem with this framing may be that it ignores the politics at play in the battle. Citric and Moyle Morda were both underkings of Brian Boru, who were challenging his sovereignty, just as kings had been doing in Ireland for hundreds of years. For this reason, many historians see the Battle of Clontarf as the climactic moment of an Irish civil war, rather than one between Irish and Nordic peoples. Whichever characterization is more accurate, Brian Boru and the Battle of Clontarf are permanently cemented in the national identity of Ireland. Throughout the country's history, they've served as symbols of resistance to foreign rule and interference. In 1834, Irish political leader Daniel O'Connell sought to use Clontarf as the site for a gathering to protest British rule. The meeting was banned to prevent insurrection, but the connection between O'Connell's nationalist cause and Boru had already been firmly established. Politics aside, it was the manner of Brian Boru's death, killed at the hour of victory on Good Friday, that gave him his enduring position in the imagination of the Irish peoples. A 13th century Irish poem read, on Good Friday, Brian was killed, defending the hostaged Irish, just as Christ without sin was killed, defending the children of Adam. While modern historians might smirk at the characterization of this medieval conqueror as a Christ-like martyr, the poem nevertheless embodies the Battle of Clontarf's significance for Ireland and its people. 
This single day in history evokes the nation's romantic past, its deep faith, and its history of struggle against oppression. Brian Boru may have been slain on April 23, 1014, but his legacy survives in the hearts of his people. The king is dead. Long live the High King of Ireland. Thanks for listening to Today in True Crime. I'm Vanessa Richardson. Today in True Crime is a ParCast original. You can find more episodes of Today in True Crime and all other ParCast originals for free on Spotify. Not only does Spotify already have all of your favorite music, but now Spotify is making it easy for you to enjoy all of your favorite ParCast originals, like Today in True Crime, for free from your phone, desktop, or smart speaker. To stream Today in True Crime on Spotify, just open the app and type Today in True Crime in the search bar. At ParCast, we're grateful for you, our listeners. You allow us to do what we love. Let us know how we're doing. Reach out on Facebook and Instagram at ParCast and Twitter at ParCast Network. We'll be back with a brand new episode tomorrow in True Crime. Today in True Crime was created by Max Cutler and is a ParCast Studios original. It is executive produced by Max Cutler, sound designed by Juan Borda, with production assistance by Ron Shapiro, Carly Madden, and Freddie Beckley. This episode of Today in True Crime was written by Andrew Kelleher, with writing assistance by Abigail Cannon. I'm Vanessa Richardson. 